0: In today's episode, I chat with Ryan Cheng, who is a friend of mine from high school. I'm really excited for you guys to hear today's episode. We talk about a lot of really important things and I'm really excited also about this week's challenge and I hope you guys join me and Ryan in pursuing it. So without any further ado, this is episode seven of the millennial crisis. Nobody really knows what they're doing. This is The Millennial Crisis by Demi Kotsouris, Wi-Fi not included. Welcome to the studios, Ryan Cheng.
1: Thank you. Hey, are you it's, feeling? Um, you, know, the, you know, the first time we did this, we were on the floor outside the library. So you've come a long <laughs> way. You've made it. I see you're, you're big money now. I and um, I'm surprised you want to talk to me.
0: <laughs> I know. No, look, for, for anyone listening like, what the fuck are they talking about? When I first kind of reached, I didn't even, what I did was, I think it was probably a year and a half ago, I put out a status on Facebook and I was like, anyone that knows me, anyone like uh, that's interested in coming on my podcast for an interview, I don't think I even mentioned podcasts. I was like, like this status and I will get in contact with you. Like I just wanted people to do the minimum thing so I could get someone on and bloody Ryan hit the little like button. I sent him a message I was like, (laughs) mate. Haven't spoken to in a while. What's happening? Will you meet me at the local Donnie library? That's
2: it. That's (laughs) it. And
0: I bought my little tripod, like, mic, and the room that uh, they told me I had booked didn't exist. Yep. Uh, And so we just sat near some officers, got in trouble, and had a dodgy interview that I couldn't use. And now, because uh, it was such a great story, I was like, need to have Ryan on uh, in a proper studio. So here we are in the glam studio. Cool, thank you very
1: much. Um, yes.
0: No, Thank you for uh, actually coming back and being oh, like, <laughs> I am willing to give more time. When you
1: told me it wasn't going to be on the floor again, I thought maybe I'll give it a shot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now we've got chairs. That's We're it. We're fancy. <laughs> now, we just finished up uh, doing a, a kind of... Full three hundred and sixty experience today. Uh, Me and Ryan met uh, in high school, so we knew each other from high school. That's right. And today we just finished going back to high school, talking to some Year Twelves about careers and money and
1: money and (laughs) money. No, talking about careers, and it was good. I. How did you find it? I thought Year Twelves were. They just stared at you, didn't really say much back. It was
0: Yeah, it was definitely karma karma for me because I was such a like shitty student that would just talk in the back of the class. So I was like, this is, this is my what I this get. is my this is what I get. This is what I deserve. Yeah. Essentially that's I guess what we're gonna be chatting about today is just the kind of journey we've been on since high school and where we are now and still not being clear about the future and I guess being okay with that. Let's get into, I guess, your journey and what happened when you finished year 12 because you were school captain. That's right. Yeah, ready to, <laughs> to get your law degree on. Oh, yeah. And so tell us a bit about that.
1: Well, so what I said to, to the kids today, um, and I've said to kids previously when I go back to school and talk, is that I lied to myself from the ages of 12 to 18 and probably probably longer than that too because you know when you're in school and and the older you get they they want you to work out what you want to do for the rest of your life and looking back it's such a weird expectation to have of a 16 year old to be like I want to be a firefighter and I want to do that forever and
0: literally babies
1: exactly and I I had no idea you know you sit down and you do those tests and stuff like that I think I literally got firefighter on one of those and I was like can I swear?
0: No, no, you can swear. Oh, yeah. great. I was like, fuck, fuck no. no.
1: I was like, I don't want to go into fires and shit. Like, that's that's so whack. And so when people asked, I just decided i just say law. It's easier than trying to explain to someone that you don't know what you want to do. So I was like, law, law, law. I watch Suits. I was yeah. like, I'm going to be Harvey Specter. This, this shit's about to go down. Love. Then when I finished, I didn't get high enough to get into a law degree. And then I did arts where I majored in criminology and politics with the idea that I would do those subjects and then transition into law at some point. And then during that time, I interviewed with the police. I wrote a thesis that was like 25,000 words. It took a year for me to do. And it was all really interesting stuff. And I learned a lot and I learned a lot about myself and the things I'd be interested in. But after the interview with the police, I just decided it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And then during that time, I started freelancing. So I was doing the Coles hustle, stocking <laughs> shelves at night, <laughs> studying by day, and then decided that I just start traveling and then just start writing and taking photos. So I never been taught how to, I never just studied journalism. So I was never had a, taught how to write in a mm. certain way or take photos in a certain I literally made it up. Mm. I picked up a camera and just went, if this looks good, it looks good. If not, I just adjust the settings and go from there.
0: You said to me in our last interview that you kind of went through the motions of not knowing what you wanted to do. And the part that I really remember was that your younger brother was a musician and he kind of encouraged you to go for your creative side. And I think that's so interesting.
1: Yeah, so, my, so this is my second brother. So I've got two brothers. Okay. And so the one that's directly like younger than me. Middle child. The middle child. Yeah. Um, he, he's always been the kind of free-spirited one of the three. Yeah. Um, so we were all born in Singapore and I grew up the longest in Singapore. And so I went to school the longest in Singapore. And I mean, I don't know what it's like to grow up in Singapore now, but when I was growing up, you know, being creative or like tapping into your passions and stuff wasn't necessarily promoted. And that's not just because of the Asian stereotype that you gotta be a doctor and engineer, but also because a small country with no natural resources, you had you know, the only way to become a powerhouse, especially in Asia, was to promote talent that was like super smart people. Yeah, yeah. That course. became their resource. And and so growing up there I never really tapped into those kind of talents that I had. I used to draw heaps and write heaps as a kid, but it was never tr- directly translated to things that I did in school. Mm. And so when my brother saw me struggling with my thesis, he was like, look, we have this camera that no one uses. How about we just take a couple of road trips, you snap away and, and do your thing and, and then write about the things that we see and all that. And that's how it began for me in that space. And it was, yeah, because of him, because you know he's he's studying music, You know he's got big dreams for music and he's always backed himself in that way, in, yeah. in that creative space. And yeah, so he did that for me. He was the gateway to all this, yeah.
0: And it's a time, this is the thing, and we kind of spoke about this before we got into the interview, was like, sometimes you just need the tiny push or that tiny bit of encouragement. And I know you do that for a lot of people now is like, give give back in the way your brother gave to you. Yeah. And like, I've done that before when someone's kind of believed in me in one place and like, I'm like, okay, that did so much for me and I don't think that person even realises what that did for me, but that tiny little piece of help or advice or, you know, belief in someone can go so, so far.
1: Yeah, and I think more often than not we look to people of status for advice, right? Mm. Like we look at celebrities or, like, we read self-help books or we... Tony Robbins. You know, Tony (laughs) Robbins, my guy Uh. out there doing the thing. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing that Wolf of Wall Street thing. Um, But more often than not, I think what we don't do enough for each other is, you know, like our experiences matter. Mm. It's just not magnified on the same scale that like Kanye West experiences are. But that doesn't mean that like when we sit down together, you've given me plenty of good advice in our Mm. conversations before and I've taken all of them on board.
0: Likewise with you as well. Same. same Exactly.
1: And I think that, you know, for him to have done that for me um, was super important because I think it could have gone very differently for me if I had never picked up that camera and been encouraged in that way. It could have gone really different.
0: Yeah, and I, I think also the thing is that when people see someone else following their dreams, it, like, ignites so much in you. Like, also spoke about how, like, our generation, we're not only encouraging each other to, like, go after what we want, we're also encouraging the generation above, like, our parents. Because I don't think we ever feel old. 25, when we were like 18, was like, you got to have your shit together at 25. Exactly. What are you doing if you don't? And, exactly. and now it's like, oh, I, don't, I think I'll probably feel the same at 30, you know?
1: I think it's all a mental thing. And I like the idea of like, never stop learning as a way to always be feeling young. Mm. Like the people that I've met, regardless of age, that always have that love for life have always been like, I'm always trying to learn new things or putting myself in, in places that are uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's something... I think my fiance does really well. Mm. I think she always challenges herself and accepts challenges and knows that, that even though you might not succeed at it every single time, it's like every time you try something, there's something to be learned there. So I think that's 100%. super important.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so let's get into your photography and writing journey because that's where your passions do lie and that's where – the rest of your life kind of started heading in terms of career-wise. So tell us a bit about how you got started there and what following that passion looked like for you.
1: Well, there was no real... I didn't know what it... To be honest, I didn't know what it looked like. Mm. Once I picked picked up the camera and once I started riding more again, I kind of had no idea what the next step was. And I tried, you know, listening to people in videos being like, this is how you yeah. help yourself and all that. And I was like, this shit ain't working for me. Yeah. Um, until one day, one of my friends, her husband w- was working at Broadsheet at the time. Unreal. And she she was like, oh, they're looking for people to help them do like some work or whatever. And it was like my first, like with no experience, I had just taken photos with my mates, yeah. you know, like when we were out at the, like not the park, but like, we you know, in national parks and stuff like that. And I just applied to be one of the photographers they send on assignments and it just so happened that they were like, we love your stuff and you, you just start working for us. And I did I did two and both were 50 bucks and I couldn't believe I was getting paid to do something that I had no, I had no business being in those places. I had never been on assignment before. I had never shot food photography, which is what Broadsheet pretty much is. It's yeah. like you go to a cafe and they're like, okay, so take photos of the food, get, capture the atmosphere. And I was like, capture the atmosphere? What, <laughs> what
2: the, does that mean?
1: Yeah, I was like, I don't know what to do. And I just literally made it up. And, you know, after the two jobs, n- unsurprisingly, I never asked to do anything again. <laughs> but then once I knew that brands and stuff usually had a pool of freelance talent, mm. they kept on hold. That's when I started really driving into that direction, which was like, I sent email after email, after email, after email, and was just like, Hey, I do this stuff. Would really love to, to help contribute to your content plan and, and you know, your strategy and your schedule and help you, you know, just have an extended presence online because, you know, brands, the hardest thing for them is how do I find content? Yeah. Couple that with when I was doing the grocery hustle, I'd was like oh I can also find diverse stories because I just travel in mm. my spare time so I think I've been to like 20 other countries since I started taking on this kind of work and what I do is I pick countries that were interesting to me then I go and I'd find stories that would difficult to replicate and what I mean by that is like often when you find travel things it's like 10 things to do in Paris or yeah. heals my experience with the Eiffel Tower and stuff like that and I knew that the only way to stand out was to find stories that no one else was willing to find and mm. talk to people that no one else was willing to talk to and that meant like I wrote a story about the like the street hustlers in Paris like around the Eiffel Tower
0: yeah cool yeah um,
1: and I literally just sat down in the park around the Eiffel Tower and just watched them and like spoke to one of them and you know and just kind of just try to put myself in their shoes like what is it like to live as this person who's really trying to put food on the table for their family mm. i also went to south africa with um with a mate and then we visited a couple of townships and then we spent day like an entire day in each one just talking to locals being like what's your life like what's hard but what are you grateful for and stuff like that and some of the stories you get out of those you you couldn't make up yeah. you know and that's how i knew that other people couldn't replicate that. Because unless you went and found the exact same person I spoke to and had the exact same conversation, it wasn't going to be here's my top 10 things to do in Paris.
2: Mm.
1: And once I did that, that gave me a point of difference. And when I started hitting people up, that's when I got traction. That's when Huffington Post happened. That's when Rucksack happened. And even recently... You know my like my service offering. I guess the things that I do changed into more like consultancy work. So I, you know, I wrapped up a project with the United Nations to help them with a storytelling campaign in Somalia, and so yeah, and so that's how I went down that path. But if you'd asked me at the very start, like what does it look like, I it was I had no idea. Yeah. But the fact that that I had no idea, and also no one had, no one around me had done it before, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: there was not. I had nothing to lose in terms of. I guess. I just reach out and keep reaching out until someone says yes, and Excellent. that that worked out. I remember I got my first page, so apart from broadsheet, because I feel like broadsheet was a bit of like. But nebitant. I feel like
0: broadsheets like was would have been such a huge learning experience for you to for be sure. like, just jumping in the debt, like me or, or knowing that following my passion, utilizing those shitty photos or whatever of me just fucking around with friends yeah yeah that actually was a portfolio like what a great learning curve to just follow your curiosity and then when opportunity happens you have something to show and and
1: that's the thing my favorite I think one of my favorite memories ever since I started doing this kind of stuff was someone was like what camera do you use and so I had a family camera but it was like a pretty good one and I didn't want to take that camera out on the time. I didn't feel comfortable using that kind of gear. Yeah. And so I walked into, I think I walked into JV and I said, (laughs) I'll just take your cheapest one. I said, give me your cheapest one. And they're like, here's the, the guy looked at me, he's the shittest one we've got. Dead. And I was like, cool, I'll grab it. And then, so when I was like pitching people and I got the broadsheet gig and stuff like that, there was a guy that I knew who was also trying to get into that field Looked at my gear and was like, "You'll never get a job with that stuff." And and, but you know here, (laughs) I guess here I am. No,
0: no, sorry, sorry. You took the broadsheet photos on that shitty camera. Yeah.
1: Fuck off. Yeah, I reckon for the first three years, three or four years, all my photos were off the shittest Canon camera that isn't, made any, that isn't made anymore.
0: Amazing. I, told I them, love yeah, yeah, that. Because yeah, we like, all think like we're fed. I, I mean, I, we, we both work in marketing where you're supposed to feed people they need this or, you mm. know, they want this and all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. When in reality, just starting is the best thing you can do. Exactly. And what it like... Crazy. I didn't know. Have I never like, told I have you that no. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's that's, it, that's so important. That's my, so pivotal. My dad was
1: like, Don't don't ruin this camera. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm probably <laughs> like gonna I'm ruin scared. this camera. Yeah, so yeah, I'm gonna yeah. just um yeah. So Mental. I reckon at least a good chunk of my portfolio was shot on that.
2: Crazy. Just on
1: the worst canon camera, and you can't find it anymore, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because I went looking for it. Cause I think I sold it to one of my friends once I was, you know, moving yeah. up in the world and they probably uh, yeah, would have
2: been yeah. like well oh, Ryan fucking yeah, yeah, made yeah, it well, with yeah, exactly. this this <laughs> camera is the shit you know um,
1: yeah you can't find it anymore and it was a good camera I do yeah. miss it I do miss it I'd, I'd regret selling it sometimes because yeah that's the thing I started out on and and yeah it was not even bad yeah and I think it's all a mental thing that like people think like I'm a big fan of stuff like I love new gear. things yeah, gear. like I bought a GoPro that I don't like I don't really use because I was like it's maybe great. I'll try videos and stuff yeah Um,
0: Story of my life. I bought a drone and I dropped like an $800 drone, flew it in Paris and it felt like the first time I flew it, it um, spazzed out and fell nine stories. Thank God no one was underneath to like, yeah, yeah. Just like mental and whatever. I'm a big fan
1: of gear. I love (laughs) gear so much. But now, you know, like having gone through the process, like I understand, you know, the temptation for people to be like, I need the best shit. Mm. But more often than not, it's like it's often when you're creating something that we're talking about content, it's like 20% gear and 80% how you execute on For the sure. content. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's really cool. Do you like we sw- kind of spoke about this before, but do, have you ever shared that kind of besides your mates and stuff like that? Have yeah. you ever shared that stuff? No,
1: I haven't. I don't So, I mean, if you, <laughs> I find myself even just then that like 30 seconds snippet of me like fumbling over my words. Mm. That's how I feel all the time talking about the stuff that I do and talking to people. I'm just, I just feel like I'm a terribly awkward person, even though I know you said before (laughs) that I'm not. And other people would also agree with you. I naturally inside in social situations, sometimes I get a bit anxious and also then sharing those kind of stories makes me anxious. Whereas when I'm sharing the stories of other people I use like, then it's about them and it's not about me. And that's when I feel most comfortable. But, you know, I think you're right in the sense that, you know, it, it could be good because then for other people, to hear that to hear could that. help. Yeah. so I guess that's something I got to do more of.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just gonna message you every now and then. So like, hey Ryan, like how are the stories on you yep, going? Yep, yep, yep. Like how are you going? Yeah, cool. With just that?
1: another thing to add to the list. of things <laughs> that you've challenged
0: me on. So it's good. It's good. Nah, um, that's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about. I guess although you said it was, all, you made things about other people. You had built a brand that wasn't yourself, but it was. It was essentially you. So let's talk about the 8-8 and how that became your online profile, what that was and what what that kind of did for you, not necessarily also in a careers way, but the learnings you got from talking to different kinds of people.
1: Yeah, so the 8-8 didn't always start out as the 8-8. Um, it was just, I can't even remember what it was called. I think it was like the Ryan C, like just like my thing. And yeah it was just a place where I could write stuff and put it up there. If anyone read it, they read it. If they didn't, they didn't. And it was just like a complimentary thing to the freelance stuff, like mm. brands would publish stuff. And then if people clicked through my bio on, on the brands page, that come to that site. And then it just started picking up traction and other people were like, I love these stories. We, we really want to share our own similar experiences. And I, I, I was like, yeah, cool, just send me whatever. And as long as they weren't offensive or rude or anything, then yeah. they were more often than not were great stories from people, from like real people. Yeah, And then it became like a bit of a safe haven for creatives, like really good creatives that just couldn't break the algorithms of social media. Mm. And that's really what I think it became for them, you know, like just some incredible talents. Like there's this one guy, he's a Canadian filmmaker, and he made a film about how, in, in Uganda, in this village, this lady teaches other women how to box to protect themselves because gendered violence is really high in those areas. Mm. And like that film is like, you, would, you could see that film in cinemas and stuff like that, but it just doesn't get found because of the way that the algorithms do their thing. And so, you know, you're talking about, the, yeah, you're right. The brand was never, it was never about me. And I love that it took a life of its own outside of that because I got to meet all these people I met. So yeah, Rob Mentov is the Canadian. I'm giving him all shoutouts now. Yeah, 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 no. Oh. Um,
0: yeah, go, go, go. Yeah. Rob
1: Mentov is the Canadian filmmaker. Yeah. There's Leo. He's also a filmmaker based out in England, but he does work like really good work in Africa for mm-hmm. NGOs then he he does some amazing photography and film. Uh, there's another, there's a, oh, I forgot her name now, but she's a really awesome photojournalist and mm-hmm. her story is incredible. And if you can get it for this podcast, that'd be sick as really? well. Yeah. She just bought a one-way ticket to Kenya to a go lot. and cover the riots there and stuff like that. So I met all those people. So I learned so much from them in terms of their creative process and how I can implement it in mine. But then also how do you manage a brand that mm. suddenly took a life of its own? Mm. And if you go on the A8 now, it, like it's it's definitely slowed down a bunch just because it's hard to manage that. Do work, do freelance. It's like it's just a loss, yeah. But it's you realize that once a brand takes a life of its own, you need the right people around it. And and yeah, the processes of just making sure that all the stories are edited in the right way, the voice is right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's people yeah.
0: forget like you don't realize how much work something is until you start doing it. Yeah. And like, even with this fucking podcast, man, like, I'm like barely being able to pump out an episode a week because I'm like, fuck, you need to spend like two days sometimes looking for the right person for the interview. Because exactly. I don't want people coming on here with a huge ego saying money. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. No, you know, that's true. I want just normal people sharing stories so people can be like, fuck, if this kid could do it, I can fucking do it and that's what I love about the stories you had and I think the real problem with creatives these days and and those who are like passionate and know it's not about them, we forget that in order to blossom and for our messages to get out – we have to be selfish and make it about us so that we can get the messages out there. Like Mm. those people that like the Canadian guy that you said had these incredible films, like, you know, he needed to build, like he needs to build his brand so that he can start getting those. And we all have this perception that social media is the devil kind of thing, you Mm. know, sometimes. And I think we even spoke about this last time about like, you know, leveraging it in the right way so that you can get not your message out but other people's messages out that's right and it's it's so hard and I struggle with it so hard now because it's in my work I do it's all about like telling businesses you need to do these things you need to share these vulnerabilities that's how people connect yeah and I don't even fucking do it for myself you know that's right
1: yeah and I think that's a fair point because It's easy when you're trying to use those things that you're talking about, those kind of strategies and stuff, when it Mm. comes to a business or a brand. I think it was easier for me to talk about the 8 8 because it wasn't me. Yeah, it was just this other thing that I kind of represented. Yeah. Whereas when you sort what you're talking about is what I did on a smaller scale, which is like I emailed editors, I emailed brands and stuff like this is what I've done. Mm. Um, but what you're talking about is true to a point as well. Is that on social media for all the you know for all the classic wanderlust travel photos and you know the shirts off on the beach photos and stuff like that yeah. you we all have a responsibility to share things that are worthwhile to be shared on those platforms yeah. um which is why I like you know cuz isn't it, you haven't just challenged me to share those kind of stories about like the shitty camera and all these things not mm. just on this podcast you said it to me you know a couple of times before mm. um and i guess you know, I've never considered the impact that it could have for someone to hear that. Mm. But you you are right. Like, for everything negative out there, we have to put something positive back out and, and yeah.
0: For sure. And it's not that, like, I think it's just also, like, one thing I've been really toying with recently is, like, mindful consumption online. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in charge of my algorithm. Yep. They feed me the things I like. So if I'm constantly liking fashion photos and like all this stuff of course I'm gonna feel like I need the latest shirt the latest this the latest like because that's all the shit that I'm like seeing so it's like I don't know it's just I think the more you hear these other stories and stuff and the way you say to them like man I want to share your story I want to get your shit out there because people need to hear this shit it's the same as what like you know we should do for ourselves as well is that like you know we need to compete with these other people so that yeah. people can be reminded that you don't have to look up the top. You can look next door yeah. and get that same inspo as you could get from yeah. fucking Tony Robbins. Yeah.
1: Poor Tony. I'm sure he's a good <laughs> I know, guy. Yeah. But I just, look, and I think I don't like the word competition because, because then we forget why we do things in the first place. Whether you're a nurse or a content creator or a doctor or a lawyer, it's like... Ideally, you're in this position because you were passionate about it, and you've gotten here because of that passion. Yeah, you're right. And passion cuts through the competition, mm. which is, um, which is, I guess, why the A8 worked because it became a platform. I wasn't competing with anyone. I wasn't yeah. like we're better than Vice or we're better than whatever. We, to be honest, we were small scale, nothing. Yeah. But it was the honesty that I went. We are nothing to a point mm. because to someone, you're always worth something. And I know that sentence kind of sounds real abstract, but nah. But you know that story about the Ugandan women like it mattered to them it mm. might not matter to someone else Jeff outside down the yeah you <laughs> yeah. know like they'd be like well i don't really care It's yeah. in uganda but to those women to know that their story had been shown across the world across the world yeah you know on the internet yeah that would have mattered to to those women there and i think yeah. that's what it became at least for me it was just a safe haven for really good creatives that didn't get the chance because of saturated platforms filled with stuff mm. Um, it became a home for them and their stories and then the people they represented as well. So
0: yeah. Amazing. Yeah, And I think you also build a stronger connection with your audience too. You know, like you've told me before about like the messages you'll get about like different things like that. And I think that speaks volumes over anything. Oh, I'm doing the right thing. Like this work is worth it.
1: Yeah. And I think that was something I had to learn to manage, especially when I started writing with platforms or brands with bigger reach Mm. was that I didn't expect that people would take the time out of their day when they were really mad about stuff to let you know they were really mad about stuff. Really. And my, like one of the first few things I wrote for Huffington Post, this guy left me an essay being like, go back to where you came from all this kind of stuff. And I felt genuinely scared because I was like, I never experienced anything like that before. And that was, and that was the day I had to learn to take things that were said on there with a grain of salt. And in the same way, all the positive messages were great as well. Being like, thank you so much. Like, you know, having someone talk about these experiences from like, I guess, an Asian Australian perspective. Mm. You know, people were grateful for that you know, if you were to talk about the negative and the positive. Yeah. But then to also understand that I wasn't doing it for those interactions either. Mm. It's it's neither am I trying to get a negative reaction or a positive reaction. I'm doing it because these are things that I believe in. Yeah. And how everyone else reacts is secondary to that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that message. That's very, very good. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's kind of talk about where you are now and guess, you know, people listening to this, they're like, this guy, like, he's done it all. Like, how cool no. is this? hundred percent, everyone's, and we we never feel like that about ourselves because the thing is, we always want more. But I'm sure if you had told Ryan in year eleven the things that you had done, the places that you had seen, the people you had spoken to, that Ryan would be like, "What a fucking yeah. like, that's yep. mad! Yep. Like, yep. <laughs> that's so cool." <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about the reality of being a creative as well. One thing like we kind of spoke about was like being picky with people you want to work with and just wanting to align your values with people. And the reality of that is that sometimes you can't always make money, you know, Exactly. and needing steady work. And just because you are a creative doesn't mean you don't have to do the nine to five things sometimes, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we've known each other for a while now and mm. That's always something I struggle with, mm. which is like that balance of nine to five, which, which is good for some people yeah. and not good for other people. Yeah. And then also the opposite end, which is like you freelance all the time without the security of a nine to five. And right now I work as the head of content marketing at a, uh, at a university. And how I got that job was someone saw my freelance work, slid in my DMs on Instagram, literally, literally. I <laughs> was like, hey, we're looking for a content writer. So this was two years ago. I started out as a content writer. Now um, I'm the head of content marketing. And, you know, like I'm incredibly grateful for the nine to five job. Mm-hmm. I don't love it all the time. And that's that's the reality. That's my reality of it is like if I had the option, I wouldn't be at a desk all day. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because of the, you know, at the stage of life, we're, we're not, you know, we don't have mortgages or families and stuff like that. And And so I struggle with that a lot. But at mm-hmm. the same time, the skills that come with, taking a role like that so early on in my career Mm. learning how to manage people so there's good and bad to both and yeah in in terms of you know how I move forward from here what's the next thing Mm. like I have no idea yeah in the same way that like you're right if you told me when I was 16 like this is what it's gonna look like for you one I'd be scared as hell because as a kid I was always just like I liked the comfort zone. I lived in the comfort zone, and mm. and I would not have. If you said you're gonna go to Africa, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a you know your leg's gonna be in a cast the day before you fly. You know, you've told me all that. I've been like, get the fuck
0: out. Yeah,
1: like I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you told me I'd be the head of anything when I was 25, I'd be like, that's crazy. But then at the same time, what you said at the start of this bit was like, I don't want people to think, oh, he's he finna made it. Like mm. he's because I don't think I've made it like I'm happy and every time I achieve something I'm like yes you know yeah. that's always good to acknowledge <laughs> that you've done something good or great and <laughs> like great in your own for terms yourself. for yeah, yourself yeah exactly yeah but to never feel that like at any point you've just gone that's it like I've done it now I've done it I've done it, it. Yeah. I've done it yeah, all yeah, yeah. you know and I've got no interest in being in that position of like I've got nothing left to do yeah and so I'm always balancing the full-time because that's a new, like relative to new role. And for me, Mm. never been in that kind of position before, Um, but then also balancing it with like pursuing freelance clients that, like you said, because I have a full-time job, I can be more picky. I don't have to take money
2: because
1: I'm, because I'm not freelancing entirely. Yeah. I don't just take money for the sake of taking money because I got bills to pay and stuff like that. I can be real picky and real choosy. The UN job, but I, it was just a volunteer thing. Like I, you know, I never, no one mentioned money. I didn't ask for money. It was like, yeah. you know, I want to do it because I believe in what the UN does and what yeah. it does for people who have no voices for themselves. Yeah. Um, I did work for Better Life Vietnam, which is an organization. If anyone's thinking of traveling to Vietnam, they they, um, they take travelers and you teach kids English and you help disabled kids make arts and crafts and cool. stuff like that. I did um, social media strategy for them. So yeah, the nine to five does free me up to then be able to pick and choose the clients that Mm. I take. And more often than not, it's like pro bono kind of stuff. But with people that I go, you know, they really need the help and they really need more hands on deck to, to get good work done. And that for me is enough. Yeah. Which I know sounds super like lame because people are like, I'm just, she's just saying that. I'm actually not just saying
0: that. No, 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 no. I do. You know, the thing is, I think we all want to help people. And I think it's different situations we get ourselves in or different communities we're surrounded by or different opinions that lead us to move further and further away from helping people like you know helping each other and being a community I guess because mm-hmm. like that's how we like I started reading like sapiens and that's like kind of yeah, like yeah, the fuck audiobook. me up like that yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would I should have done the audiobook but I was like I haven't read a book ever you know <laughs> I should probably read and I started with the one that like oh, I literally yeah. read a, a page massive, it's a massive book it's not just a massive book but there's words in there and I'm like what are you yep. talking about I read yep. a page 10 times and I'm like I still don't understand yeah but you know it, it kind of puts you into the perspective of like we're meant to be in a community we're meant to be in a tribe and Mm -hmm. like help each other and that's why we're all kind of quite think we get fucked up in you know being like I'm so grateful to have a job you know I there shouldn't be anything wrong right now but I want more Mm. and it's hard for us to kind of accept that especially when you hear stories like you know people in Africa and they're going through this and you're like here I am sitting at a fucking desk yeah. making this much money and I'm unhappy you know yeah. Yeah. I want more but I think what I've like been learning recently speaking to people is that like we need to accept like the privilege we have and want more for ourselves because that's the only way we'll be able to do more and help others and have more of an impact
1: yeah i think people get confused when you talk about privilege also because like i don't like how the term is used commonly as a thing to you know i don't we don't have to get into race and stuff here no, but like no, you no, know no. you yeah. know what i'm talking about yeah, and i think sure. a lot of terms nowadays have been convoluted as a result of that and like take the 8-8 for example so the 8-8 the why is it not called the 88 is like it stands for the words so it's, is a is a Zulu word for I see you and that's what I learned from a guy in a township in South Africa cool. the response which I cannot pronounce and won't try to pronounce <laughs> has 8 letters and so they both have 8 letters that's why it's called the 8-8 amazing
2: but the response
1: is so when someone says hi you know like when I see you down street be like hey good day how are you stuff like that yeah. but when you say how are you you don't really give a fuck if yeah. I ask someone it calls how are you I don't really care yeah Sobona and the response that I can't pronounce is like, I see you, which is like, I see you as in like, I see you and your present. Yeah. And the response is then I am here, which is like, I'm also like, I'm also acknowledging my own presence and I'm going to be aware of yours, <sighs> which for me is such a powerful thing because you talk about existing in tribes and communities and stuff like that. and And what we've forgotten how to do is connect to each other. Yeah, yeah. the world is much smaller. And we have much more access to information. And then we feel like we don't need each other anymore because it's like, well, I have everything I need on the tip, of, you know, at my fingertips. Yeah. But what you forget is that the reason we as a community have come this far is because we've used each other, mm. not used each other in, in the terms of commodity, but like when we need someone to fall back on, who do you fall back on?
2: Mm. People. Yeah.
1: When you want to celebrate something, who do you fall? Who do you go to? People.
2: Yeah.
1: When you need help, people like it's, yeah. it's always been that. And it's and I so think true. that's, you know, from the book you're reading as well, reemphasizes that. And I think that's something that I had to relearn. And that's why when I traveled and I met all these people, people who had so much less than us, and they'd always be like, I don't understand how you guys aren't happy because we're happy and they live in like shacks and they don't know when the next meal is going to come and stuff like that and yeah. they're like we wouldn't have, i mean obviously they would have it no, so no but, but the, yeah the essence totally of that is it. like if we could have our attitude along with your way of life we'd keep that you know someone said to me like why would we sacrifice the minds the, the healthy mindset of like hope and like you know positivity and stuff like that. And they're living in the slums and they're looking at us and being like, how are you guys mm. upset when you yeah. have more?
0: One other thing that I've been like thinking about is that, you know, the generations before us may have been happy in certain areas, because I think another thing about them that had commu- a community sense of people connections, one, they didn't have the internet. And two, religion was a bigger thing. Mm. And although I think there are some Kind of very very dark sides to religion, and it can cause a lot of issues. There was that sense of community and purpose. Yep. It was there was a higher power that people were like, "I'm doing this because of this." So whether it was a desk job, they felt like there was a purpose it to, to, to it, you know. And they were had regular meetups or meetings and connections yep. with people on a Sunday, whether it was a church bound and they all fucking sung a song yep. or whatever. Yep, yep, there yep. was that community thing, and now. What the fuck do we have? More pyramid schemes? Yep, That's all we got. Pyramids, yep. And pyramid people, schemes, people, people find con- culture in that, in, that. in that
1: exactly. And and look, I'm I'm religious. I go to church every Sunday. I'm yeah. Catholic. I met my fiance there. My family would go together. And you know, like for everything that I have to say about Singapore, like growing up there, the education system, the hard mindset, and stuff like that. What I loved about Singapore was that in every corner there was a coffee shop, a hawker center, and it would be filled with people, community. In Asian culture, I think is 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 valued at a lot more of a commodity than really? it is here. And then you know, like, don't get all upset and be like, hey, it's Australia, as because one time I did a radio interview and they got accused of that, but that's fine. Really? Yeah. <laughs> people can think whatever. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, like, when you don't appreciate space, right? And I'm talking spaces to hang out spaces to have coffee and stuff and then, you know like in the city you have that mm. but I'm talking about in the areas where people need the most mm. which is disadvantaged areas or even suburbia where like you know mental health is such yeah. a fragile thing how you know if you're positioning places where like mums can go and meet up I'm not talking about like mother's groups I'm talking like if you want to take a walk together stop for a coffee yeah you know it's it's hard to come to the city and do that and it's also hard if you're living in suburbia where you don't have access to that mm. and and like the thing you say with religion as well, it's like at least then you have a routine of like at you're going to a place once a week and then, you know, you, you can be praising God or whatever, but then you also know that you're in a space with people that you can trust.
2: Yeah.
1: It's the same. Like, you know, I'm a Catholic, go to church every Sunday. Um, my best mate, he's a Muslim, goes to the mosque every Friday. Yeah. You know, Buddhists do the same thing.
2: Yeah,
1: um, Hindus do the same thing. Like, you know, and you're looking at all these traditions and you're going like, yes, as a general public, you can't look at a tradition and go, hang on a minute. Yeah. There are things there that we can learn. Yeah. And and the thing that you brought up is like, yeah, community is such a big thing.
0: So important. It's such a big thing. Yeah. And all right. Um. So I guess if you were to give a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, are, I think all the one thing we all have in common is we're all looking for, I guess, not motivation, but I guess a, a community of us to just be like, I'm not crazy for wanting more. I'm not crazy for, you know, thinking that what I have in the back of my mind I should kind of go for. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to someone that's feeling like that or what's a big lesson you learned that made you go for your photography thing?
1: This might be the ultimate cliche in the space of like pursuing your dreams and entrepreneurship and stuff like that. It's like self-awareness is a massive thing mm. and it gets, the word itself gets bandied around as if it's like eh, self-awareness, this self-awareness, like mindfulness, all that kind of, yeah. I'm not talking about that nonsense. Cause I think the very root of it is like knowing who you are and knowing yourself. And I'm not talking about like, Oh, I feel sad today. So I'm going to stay inside or like, I feel happy. And I'm going to go outside. Like it's, and especially you're talking about things that deep root in your back of your mind. Like, should I pursue this or should I go for this? And should I commit to this? You should always know, The real reason why you're doing things. Because it's so easy. We lie to ourselves every day about so many different things. And if you're interested in starting your own agency because you think you could make a fuck ton of money because you think it'll give you the life on the beach, then you probably shouldn't do that. But if you're gonna start agency because you're really into digital and you're really into marketing, you believe that like what you offer is vastly different from the rest of the other agencies out there, then that's when you should go for it. You know, people get all these ideas in their head about what life looks like that we forget why we want to live that life in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it's like passion, because I think on the good days, anything feels like a passion. You know, like when things are going well, you're like, I really love accounting. (laughs) And then when like shit hits the fan... You go, this is the fucking shittest. Yeah. And that's the thing. Passion should be able to carry you through on the lowest of days.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're going to love it on the low days, but you will go, when you have 10 hurdles in front of you, exactly. you fucking jump over all. <laughs>
1: exactly. You'll do it because you love it. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's the most important thing.
0: Amazing. Let's start with the, the final questions that I ask everyone to kind of round off the interview. I think so, yeah. that it's been fantastic so far and there's heaps of nuggets of knowledge that people walk away with first question is what was the first step you took to achieve what you're currently doing
1: I think I had to tell myself that it was okay to take a break I had to do that because like you know you know if everyone listening it sounds like I do a lot of stuff but it has to come with a caveat which is I don't do all the stuff all the time yeah Cause I hate getting questions like, "How do you, how do you manage all that?" It's like I, you know, some days I don't. Mm. Some days it's just the nine to five, and I come home and I crash. Yeah. Whereas you know, especially when I started nine to five, I was so desperate to hold on to this idea of who I was previously to the nine to five mm-hmm. that I was like, come over nine to five and then you just work and work and work and then you just get sick and you can't do anything.
2: Mm.
1: And so I think the biggest change to get to where I am like in this very moment was I had to tell myself it's okay to take a break. It's okay that if there aren't any freelance clients at the moment that that's all right because then you direct your energy to, the, to your nine-to-five. Mm. And then when the freelance picks up, you know, then maybe the 8-8 eight eight has to drop and stuff like that. It's a yeah. balancing act and rest is a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's, I think that's an awesome answer. I think and that's what that's everyone yeah. has Everyone has such different perspectives. And the reason I asked that question is so that one of them, one of the interviews will click with someone, yeah. you know, like one of those small things will be like, shit, you're right. Like Ryan's right. I need to take time for me to play fucking Call of Duty, you know? Like, it's It's, okay. It can be that, yeah. Yeah, you know? And it's it's okay for me not to feel guilty doing that or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I love that. Um, Next one, what would you consider to be your biggest millennial crisis right now?
1: I think mine could be having worked in an office for five days is hard and I think my mental health took a big hit Mm. as a result of that. Mm. Only because, I mean like and you know me like the kind of stuff I'm doing is like I like to be out there I like to be telling stories I like to be creative and sometimes you don't get that in an organization which is fine it comes with the territory yeah but at the same time you know being so used to that kind of creative work yeah yeah, it took a massive hit I just like was tired all the time
0: that's the thing it Um, takes you get drained yeah
1: yeah I was just tired and I still am tired Mm. (laughs) you know like it's but to other people that might sound like dumb but I think like it's so important and there's a self-awareness thing that comes into it which is like when I know that I'm at that point where it's just like I need a bit of like release Mm. that I go and like I afford myself a break or I go and do something that's like more up my alley or just take photos and stuff and and not do it for anyone apart from for myself and for like for like my head yeah 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 Yeah,
0: no that's that's awesome the last question is what is one thing you still want to explore or are curious about now you already like did something a little bit that you like told me about oh yeah but let's let's get into the kind of new the Step before, so okay. you told me about yeah, yeah, yeah. you started yeah. doing the step before, but what's like the next big step that you're <laughs> curious about? Yeah. So I
1: think what you're referencing is I set myself a challenge, like every six to twelve months to do something that makes me feel uncomfortable.
2: Yeah.
1: And I just, and it was just, it started when me and um Christina, my fiance, were just joking around. I was like, I can totally do st-, you know, like the stupid shit that you say, being like, I can totally do stand up comedy. I'm funny. I have funny experiences. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. And then I like fully just like wrote what I thought was a brilliant like sketch or whatever, and it wasn't like great.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And I did it for my family and stuff, and um. But then I never, never like committed to doing like an open mic night. Yeah. Because I just went. That's just way too deep for yep. me to go into straight away. But yeah. then I started rock climbing like three weeks ago as my thing because like I'm scared of, I'm scared of heights. Yeah. I hate rock climbing. You know, like it's just not something that I would do normally, mm-hmm. which is why I'm doing it. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, I guess, like, that's the latest thing I'm exploring. I, was, I wasn't I was curious about it, but it's, like, it's a challenge, like a physical challenge. I don't know how much you know about rock climbing, but it's a super mental game. Yeah. Like, it's not just, like, climb and just, like, muscle your way up. It's, yeah, of It's, course. like, you know, it's like a puzzle almost. I never fully appreciated it until I started it, and I'm going to just keep going once a week to the end of the year, I guess. And, yeah. And then, yeah, maybe, maybe stand-up's next, maybe not. I don't know, but that's... For me, that's what I'm doing at this point in
2: time, yeah, yeah. for sure.
0: Now, I've got, I think, I know last time uh, before we kind of got into the interview, I spoke to you about uh, how I set a challenge for everyone. And it's yep. and the reason I set the challenge is because, uh, like, I used to listen to so many fucking podcasts and then give people business advice. Yeah, yeah. And I'd never, like, done it myself. But <laughs> I was like, I'm fucking consuming all this. Shit. Of course I fucking know. Yeah, like, yep, you know? Yep, yep. And so it's all about doing And some challenges are really small and some are a bit bigger. And we'd kind of discussed I'd always wanted to do um, the minimalist challenge where you get rid of something each day. And you said, like, that would be something you'd want to do. But now I'm thinking... Now I'm thinking, I don't know, like, we're, we're really like spitballing free, no uh, going man, going free no, now. But, I don't know um, where this is going,
1: and I yeah, loving so it. So it's
0: something that I had said to you. I had had a podcast planned with a comedian that I listened to, and um, he, the reason I loved his work so much was because. He shared really dark stories, but made them funny. But you also learnt through his act, yeah. and I was like, I want to get him on. I want him to teach me. Like, and he's agreed to come on. But like, I wanted him to teach me like comedy and like for <laughs> me to do my first stand up show. But I think it'd be so much funnier, especially because I am on a timeline where I'm gonna be going away soon. But to challenge you and for you to challenge me to pick a date for an open mic night maybe it's in four weeks maybe it's in three weeks and just fucking do it you really put me on the spot here you don't have to we don't have to do it we can go for the minimalist challenge and no one will hear this (laughs) but i'm just like i'm actually sweating
1: i'm just like freaking me out oh my god i don't even
2: sure sure yeah sure
0: yes sure Round of applause for Ryan, ladies and gentlemen. gonna get us to record our whole oh. journey of it um yeah. we'll we'll do some little like memos to ourselves and stuff and show how n- you, you know, know what the worst part is you know what the worst part is you're nervous now you're gonna be so g on the night and i'm going to no, literally no, throw no. up like no i i feel like that's what's gonna I happen i
1: so sick right now Feels so sick. It's cool. Weird.
0: I'm. I'm like. Like I was. I was literally going to say like you don't have to do it. But then I was going to be like no. The fact that you don't want to do it that much means you have to do it, right? Yep. Yep. And what a great story it would what be. What a great story. What, what a great, great
1: story. story. What a great story. A friend asked you to come on the podcast, and no, you have to do an open <laughs> mic night.
0: Amazing. Great. Great. Oh. I Great! I, great, great. I should okay. never have told you that story. Cool. Amazing. Cool. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Okay. Um, so this week's challenge is uh, challenge yourself to do something that literally makes you want to throw up, <clears throat> whether it's rock climbing for you, stand up comedy, an open mic night where you can sing and you've never told your family that you enjoy singing. I don't care what it is. This is one of the bigger challenges, but I think we've worked our way up to this level and sometimes you gotta jump in jump in the deep end. Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: Cool. Um, cool. So cool. We'll stay yeah. um stay up to date. Yeah. stay up to date with um, what's happening what's happening there. I think we'll have another uh, review of, of how that goes uh, next week. But um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Ryan. Cool. Thanks. Hey, oh, sorry. so sorry. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan for coming on and also special thanks to actually being open to doing this. Great. Um, that is, it seems right now, I think it's going to be very pivotal, a pivotal experience and a pivotal life moment for both of us, um, putting ourselves out there in this way Gosh, and on a time frame. Because I feel like if you you didn't have a time, yeah. yeah. You keep saying the time (laughs) frame
1: thing. I'll get it. We're on a time
3: frame. (laughs)
0: right, Um, Ryan, I have dragged you back for for the third time. How do you feel about that? You know,
3: the saying goes third time lucky, so hopefully you never have
2: to
0: do this again. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes in life, Things don't go as planned. And unfortunately, I think I, in particular, was a little bit um, optimistic in the time frame and the challenge that I had set for us, uh, which yep. was a stand-up comedy show. And look, yep. uh, if if times were different and I was not uh, departing the country for a, a decent amount of time... We, yep. I'm sure we would have eventually mustered up the courage and got it all done, but I'm sure we would everything was not going our way and uh, we had a few issues with organising a venue and holding a spot, so we are here now with a new challenge in place because... We're fighters, and we're not giving up.
3: That's it. That's it. I think we have to adapt. That's I mean, part it. of me is kind of relieved that we're not doing those, the standard
0: comedy thing. We had a bit of a chat the other day, and oh. you came up with a with an awesome alternative. Because I had a bit of a panic, and I bombarded you with a whole lot of shit, <laughs> uh, trying to not give up on on the dream of doing a stand-up show and I, you were like, listen, let's just fucking put it on pause and uh, yep. let's put something in place of it and uh, let's actually execute on something. So you came up with the awesome idea of a bit of a content creation pact and I guess a accountability buddy system.
3: Well, I think a big thing that people will know about you if they know you well is that you like to challenge people around with everything. Mm. I think having hung out with you Um, A few times now, every time I open my my mouth, you seem to be able to turn back on me and make it (laughs) something um, um, challenging. And something that you um, spoke to me about when we were doing the podcast, maybe not on the podcast, but we talked about LinkedIn a lot. And something that stuck out to me was when I was telling you the story about how I bought the Shooter's camera in a store and you asked me if I'd written it down anywhere. And when I said I hadn't, that you thought that it could be a really beneficial piece of content for someone that might have been going through the same thing or thinking about pursuing a similar path to myself. And then once once the the microphone's off and stuff like that, then you reiterated how important it was for me to be writing not so much the creative stuff that I've been doing, but talking about my own experiences and my own journey um, to to where I am um, at this very point in time. So I thought that instead of the stand-up comedy thing, which... You know, I'm actually really bummed about it. I think I had built up all this hype with my fiancé, especially. She was super bummed. Um,
0: It will be done. I just want to clarify that. That will be done. Uh, (laughs) It might not be now or in the near future, but when I'm back, you know I'm going to be pestering your ass. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know you'll be
3: back. I know. I know. I haven't forgotten. So the anxiety hasn't totally dissipated. (laughs) But I thought, um, thinking about what you said about writing writing down all those experiences and turning them into pieces the of the content that could be beneficial for others and also emphasising for me a lot, and I think the people that follow you closely wouldn't know how much you've been hammering on about LinkedIn and how it's almost a reflection of Facebook when it first started in terms of organic reach. I thought it would be good that for, for the next... I don't know what the time frame you set, but to write a piece of content for a given amount of time every week. Um, and I think people might be like, well, that seems like a step down from from the comedy thing. But I think writing and sharing content on social or on any kind of platform is kind of similar to doing stand-up comedy. You're still putting stuff out there in front of, you know, heaps of people um, and sharing kind of really um, intimate and important stories about yourself and, and your process. And I think that could be um, a great alternative in place, hold it, until you get back and test
0: me to do stand-up all over again. A hundred percent. When we kind of spoke about it and you first, uh, I guess, pitched me the concept of like, hey, what if we replace it with this when you said it, it made so much more sense because this is something that people deal with a lot more and it'll be a lot more relatable. Cause I know anyone that's listening now has definitely felt some sort of social media anxiety to a degree, right? Whether it's, yeah. and on different platforms, whether it's, I'm not going to tag someone in this meme because I'm like, what are they going to think? Like, is it actually going to be relevant to them? Are we close enough for me to do that? Like on a smaller scale yeah, of that, yeah. or it's, LinkedIn's really terrifying for me. I don't see myself as a professional. How am I going to post on this professional platform? Right. Which is something I've been like preaching to people, but I haven't from a while ago, but I'd never been doing it myself. And then I was like, fuck, I can't be telling people this is what they need to do. And then not doing it myself. Yeah. And so, so I think that's awesome. Um, So what I did was uh, from that concept, I've put a bit of Put a bit of guidelines around the challenge and I think and I hope that anyone listening would love to jump on it, whether it's on LinkedIn for them or Instagram, Facebook, and they've got themselves an accountability buddy as well, that what we'll do is we'll be putting out one LinkedIn, did we clarify, is it an like an article or document or detailed post, right? So it has to be something of value. Yeah. Uh, Once a week until the end of the year. Right. And then, what we will be also doing in the nature of the industries that we're from, both having digital backgrounds, to be tracking our results to see not only what we've had professionally in a profile building and maybe opportunities that come out. Uh, But also network-wise, has that grown? And also how we feel about posting on socials now. Is it something that's come easier to us? Has it actually become harder now? Because we are, we have this pressure of content every week and just, I guess, making note of that uh, when we do kind of check in to be like, how's everything going on your end?
3: Right. That sounds
0: good to me. Uh, do you accept my challenge and do you accept uh, coming back at, I guess, start of next year at some point and um, chatting with me again to, to review what's happened, what's happened with the challenge and our results. I
3: can't
0: get rid of you. Can I? I know. I know. (laughs) That's why I said at the end of the year, I was like, now he's got to be my friend till at least then. That's what I do with all my friends. I'm not sure if you know that. (laughs)
3: No, um, yeah, I accept. Right, you got it. Well I think it'll be I think it'll be good. Beautiful. And I think it'll be interesting, um to yeah, to see all the things that you know we're looking to measure and, and see if we can really provide um value consistently as well, which I'm excited to. it's a great challenge.
0: Yeah. And I guess would you have any advice for anyone? who might want to jump on the challenge with us because I know we've both put out a couple of posts um, pre-recording this and would there be any advice you would have to people who might be hesitant or might not know where to start?
3: Um, something that I learned listening to Gary V. Um, we love that content this... king. Yeah, and, and, you know, for a lot of the hype and all that kind of stuff, I'm, I think something that I learned from him very early on in my own career, if you'd like, was the balance between, like, documenting and creating, which is something I didn't understand until the older I got and the more work that I did. It's like, you don't need to have an original thought to come up with a piece of content. Um, It can literally be things happening to you during the week. Um, Something someone said that, you know, has got you thinking. Um, Like Today, I just put out a LinkedIn article just in anticipation of of the challenge to stay in habit. Um, I talked about I went to a mindfulness workshop at the start of the week and how I wanted to win at the mindfulness workshop and what that means, like, why did I want to win something that's clearly not competitive? Um, but that wasn't me sitting down and being like, oh, how do I, what do I talk about? Do I pretend I went to a mindfulness workshop? Like, I'd actually gone there and through that experience piece of fell out of that. I think, don't look at it as, like, a creative challenge. People go, I'm not creative, how can I write? I think everyone has unique experiences that you can reflect upon Um, and
0: someone can always learn something from that. Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. And and on the front of people not being creative or not thinking that they're writers, I mean, like, I spelt fucking carrot with a double T once. I can't spell or use grammar for (laughs) shit. That's what, like, grammarly spell check and, like, getting your mate or your sister or your mum to read over something else yeah <laughs> oh fuck all right uh awesome thanks for thanks for jumping back on with me ryan and um i'm looking forward to the to the challenge to see where it takes us man who knows we could be fucking blowing up after this like linkedin dominating I think be. dominating <laughs> Imagine. Wow. Um, <laughs> you want to check out Ryan's stuff on Instagram and he's very shy and doesn't want to unplug himself. But uh, Ryan, what's your handle? Because people are going to um, want to check out. It's super
1: racial. It's chink in the armour.
0: We love that. Yeah. Um, that'll be in the bio as well. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Ryan for coming on. And, nice. uh... I'm excited for the challenge. (laughs) I'm trying to be excited because I can't say I'm shitting myself in the same way. way. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys.